If you want to prevent AIDS in your community, you need to find out first what are the underlying causes driving the epidemic which are specific to your group and then tailor your strategy accordingly. That's according to Justin Parkhurst, who took part in a symposium at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine on World AIDS Day. After his talk, I asked him about his research findings and his opinions. I think there's been a, a realization in the AIDS community that our approaches to changing behavior have not always been uh, very well developed, not well developed uh, from a social science perspective either. We do a lot of uh, attempts to reach people, we, we do outreach and we do information sharing, but the notion of whether or not information alone is going to change people's sexual behavior is, is a question we haven't engaged with enough. So we thought a lot about and we discussed a lot about if there are different ways to approach HIV prevention in which we actually try and address more of the underlying factors that are driving patterns of, of sexual behavior or risk behavior or drug-taking behavior. So what are the structural factors or the social drivers of patterns of risk and are there ways to try and intervene, whether it's at an individual project level or at a societal level, at a government level, in ways that will address those underlying issues so that we're not just providing information to people, not addressing what their patterns of behavior are like, why those patterns are forming, and actually addressing them more directly. You also raised a very interesting point about poverty and HIV and whether or not poverty is actually a driver of this. Go into some detail there because you used two examples um, between South African experience and Tanzania, both quite different wealth-wise, um, but having quite different experiences also in terms of infection. For, for many years, we've kind of accepted the fact that poverty seems to drive HIV from a distal level. It's, it's not being poor doesn't give you the virus per se, but we recognize that lifestyles associated with poverty can put people at risk. And we see many examples of that happening. We know of cases whereby uh, people who are poor may have to rely, for example, on, on transactional sex in order to make ends meet. And, of course, that can put them at risk. However, what we see is if we look only at levels of wealth or levels of poverty, we, also, we see many cases where wealthier people in communities have more HIV. In sub-Saharan Africa, in many countries, it was the wealthier people in early years who seemed to be getting the virus first. Now, many people think that challenges this notion that poverty drives HIV. Does this mean that we were wrong or that wealth drives HIV? The point I was trying to make is that it's not so simple. We recognize there are situations of poverty and there are aspects of poverty that put people at risk, but there are also situations about being wealthy that put people at risk, and often for very different reasons. The way you're at risk by being wealthy, say in, in an African community, in sub-Saharan Africa, I've worked a lot in East Africa, very often it's the people who are mobile, who are moving between rural areas and cities, and these people tend to have more resources. Maybe they're getting those resources because of their mobility or maybe they're mobile because they're wealthier. That puts them at risk for certain reasons. That doesn't mean those earlier reasons about transactional sex or reliance on that disappear. They're both factors that put people at risk. And so what my point was trying to say is, rather than simply asking a question of is it wealth or is it poverty that's driving HIV, we have to understand how being poor in one context puts you at risk and how being wealthy in another context put you at, puts you at risk in often a very different way. So that when we address HIV prevention, we're tailoring our prevention strategies to the risks people face the actual ways those structural drivers are manifesting themselves. And similarly, what this allows, and the point I was trying to make in the uh, discussion, this allows us to then look more holistically at our development objectives. We, we want to prevent HIV. We also want to move people from out of poverty or from poverty to more wealthy situations. So we have to recognize that the HIV risks people face are very often different when they're impoverished or when they're more wealthy. So if we recognize that, then as people are moving out of poverty, we can address the new, often very different risks they might face for HIV. 
it seems that we're going to have to take many different kinds of methods. What I was really trying to get at there when I talked, I talked a lot about context determining how a structural factor plays out, whether you're educated or uneducated, if that's going to affect your HIV risk, is going to be dependent on the context in which you live. Being a, a poor uh, but kind of moderately educated individual from a certain religious background in one country and one community will lead to certain lifestyles, will lead to certain uh, economic opportunities, and there might be risks associated with that. Being, being that. Having that same income level, that same education level, that same religion or belief system in another country may lead to different lifestyles. So really the point we were trying to make and, and the point the um, social drivers group is trying to make is about tailoring and, and, and structuring our, our responses and our interventions to the realities of the context. Um, rather than going in with a set of interventions kind of thought up from outside without any consideration, the first step is to identify who the target population are and what is their contextual, uh, con- what is their context, what is their contextual situation and how does it play out in risk. If we can do that, do some investigation where we're working, identify what's driving risk behavior, how it's playing out, then we can tailor and design intervention messages or intervention strategies or approaches that are more in tune with people's realities. So what is the bottom line message then coming out of this with regards to social drivers? For me, I'm an academic, and so I, you know, I consider myself a scientist, albeit a social scientist, and I think we need to get the social science of prevention better. I think we need to start no longer accepting when people do intervention strategies that are cooked up outside, uh, outside a country, outside a community, with no um, understanding of local context. We need to start developing best practice for doing HIV prevention, which involves aspects of identifying local risk patterns, local structures and contexts that are driving them. So best practices would involve a series of steps and stages that you have to follow before you can go in and do an intervention. Um, The irony is if if we're going to give anybody a a new treatment for HIV, you're going to need to have all sorts of um, PhDs in biochemistry studying for years the chemical you're going to give somebody, um, and then you're going to have to do lots of trials to see if it's efficacious and if it works. When it comes to HIV prevention, anyone can cook up a prevention strategy kind of in the back room and think, well, well, let's try this. Let's try reaching out to school kids and give them 10 weeks of interventions, or let's try and reach out to mothers and give them leaflets. um, We really need to, as as a community, as an HIV community, start showing that that's not necessarily good social science. We don't want to discourage people from uh, getting involved and from doing what they think is important in their community. Probably what we want to discourage most are people from outside communities who don't know the local areas, just cooking up ideas, coming up with ideas that aren't context-specific, setting up environments where those people who are on the ground who know what's driving their local risks, they're encouraged to come up with custom-tailored, locally appropriate messages and strategies. So for me, you know, from this point forward, I'd, I'd love to see the international community take, take a harder line with some of the work that, that people like myself, uh, I'm one of the outsiders who sits outside and makes recommendations for policy or for prevention. Um, I hope I'm held up to a, a higher, more critical standard so that the prevention work we do in the future is of better quality and potentially more successful. Justin Parkhurst of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. For Audio News, I'm Sarah Maxwell.